uh, I'm just I'm just feeling wrecked. <laughs> I'm a mess right now. My uh, heart is a mess. Feeling just the tenderness of just being with being with you guys and uh, hearing the word uh, last night in prayer session and just <sighs> fighting with my wife afterwards and having Bill Schofield's message and John's and no confidence in the flesh and just pressing you and testing you to. It's not about just getting your life and duck, you know, ducks in a row. You just, you know, just go and it drives you to dependence upon God. And I just feel erect, minds erect. I have like 50,000 Bible verses just going through my head right now from just all the conversations. And so, so Richie might have, you know, talked about clarity and stuff. I'm, I'm, I just really need grace to get one thought together. <laughs> Trying to remember how I even uh, kind of came out with the uh, framework for the message. Um, so I'm just going <clears> to <throat> ask the Holy Spirit again just for help. And let's also pray for just our ears, you know, because it's not, it's not going to be based upon how awesome I present something or any of the speakers here. It's really, uh, just, we need the uh, Matthew 13, uh, just blessed ears to hear and uh, heart to respond. And that's produced by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we, <clears throat> we ask you for help. We know the testimony of the scriptures regarding our hearts, the inclination of our hearts and our minds, and we're, we're just not truth-oriented, God. We're just wanderers, and we, we wander away from the path of life. And God, we need grace today. God, even if we think we <clears throat> kind of apprehended something just by sitting through all the teachings yesterday, and God, we just, we say again this morning, God, our hearts are longing to go astray. It's, our flesh is militating against truth, and it's, it's trying to discard the, uh, the, the message of the gospel. And We just pray for your help today, Father. I pray, send your spirit upon uh, just the weak words spoken and our weak ears to listen. Send your spirit upon it, God. Anoint us today to just to hear and respond and, and produce fruit and be faithful. In Jesus' name. So, uh, yeah, I just want to encourage, uh, you know, those in the room and those watching, if uh, it's kind of, you hear, like, I, all I really want to talk about is, like, what John was saying yesterday. That's all I want to talk about is no confidence in the flesh. It's the only thing that's just ringing in my, it's the Holy Spirit was just bearing witness to that so much, and uh uh, but the flesh, the flesh really likes to boast and have confidence in anything but God. And uh, I, uh, I remember watching uh, MythBusters, and uh, I don't watch that show up. I was watching this MythBusters episode, and uh, they're trying to uh, figure out if you could uh, kind of be blindfolded in the woods and stay on a straight path, and like tracking them with a the GPS, you know, and it's funny, they, they're making one huge loop. So they're walking for miles, just blindfolded. And then, they, and then they try to use other tools, and then they get like this contraption. They get a ladder, and they have one guy at the front of the ladder, another guy at the, the back of the ladder, so that he can like line up his sight. And the GPS thing, it just, keeps, it just curves. And then, then they blindfold the guy and put him on an airport runway with a vehicle, blindfolded, just, just keep it straight. And you see the, you see the thing, it's just going off into the grass. And so, 
our bodies can't, or not even wired to, or the inclination of our bodies and our, our eyes and our feet are not wired to go straight. How do we keep the heart, right, on a straight path? And so I encourage you, don't think it's just going to come from, you hear one teaching and you're like, all right, no, no confidence in the flesh, let's roll, let's do it. It just doesn't work like that. And you need the Holy Spirit. You need a community, people checking up on you. You need scriptures, it doesn't change. And you're just like, whoa, I'm getting off. You need that compass. And, if you, and to really, uh, to really uh, believe the testimony of the scriptures that if you are left to your own devices and you're not, if you're not kind of put in check by the Holy Spirit, you are going to go off and build a tower of Babel and rebel against God. That's just the inclination of our hearts. We want to build towers, and we don't want to submit or just uh, surrender ourselves to the gospel and, and God's ordained uh, prescription for, for sin. And so just keep that kind of in your mind throughout the day that you might be thinking, all right, I got this Christian life down, and, you know, <laughs> It's just, it's not meant to ever be figured out. It's just, you're always going to feel pressed and you're going to just, you know, the Lord is pressing you to dependence upon him. So uh, with that said, let's just hop into uh, the message. And uh, I'm going to be speaking out of uh, for, uh, a book, Revelation, and a letter to Ephesus and Smyrna. And... Uh, <clears throat> It's kind of a, I want to give uh, the historical background, but uh, if, I, if I just teach out of the historical, it's kind of, you kind of lose the point, right? There's an eschatological reality uh, that it's pointing to, but uh, what happens is if you just kind of stay, it's, there's a tendency to just check out because it's historical or check out because it's just way in the future, so I, I, the way I want to present it is I just want to make it real. The, the lessons uh, from these churches are just something that, that we can kind of, it's more tangible and something, pre, a present reality as well as a future reality. Um, so a uh, glimpse into uh, first century Ephesus. <clears throat> so uh, commercial significance, a major port city with a population of about 300,000 uh, cultic significance, it's, it's the center of uh, mother goddess worship in Asia. The temple of Diana, or in, a, in the Greek, the temple of Artemis, uh, was set there. It's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it's, if you picture this temple, it's uh, 130 meters long. It's 67 meters wide. It has a 127 18-meter tall columns. It's just, you know, it's massive, just shrine of idolatry centered there in, in Ephesus. And uh, if, you, if you're familiar with Acts 19, Acts 18 through 20, you know, it's Paul's mission uh, kind of time in uh, Ephesus, the <clears throat> kind of references this, but it, there's a black meteorite that came out of heaven, and they believed that was the goddess uh, Diana. And so that's what uh, they reference in Acts 19. Uh, cultural significance, it's the fourth greatest ancient city after uh, Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch in, in uh, Syria. So it's a, it's a major city. Uh, you know, of the uh, seven churches, it's kind of the one referenced the most in the scriptures. It's the cultural center of Asia, and there was a, a great theater seating about 24,000 people. And it's also referenced in Acts 19. And... <clears throat> 
So it's a real, it's a real historical city that existed, you know, in time and in the first century. It's, it's kind of like uh, just not there anymore. Just ruins. It's not really a major city right now, but uh, <clears throat> eschatologically, there is going to be uh, a church of Ephesus. And so the letter, the letter is, you know, the Lord Jesus is writing this letter to this church. Not sure how it got circulated to this church, but the letter did circulate also to just the church kind of uh, in a broad way. And, and, and eschatologically, this letter is going to be significant to uh, the church. So the broad kind of generic end time church and also the church in Ephesus. Uh, ecclesiological significance. Uh, the mission movement uh, throughout Asia and Paul's final thrust towards Jerusalem was catalyzed out of Ephesus. So if you're uh, familiar with Acts 20, and, uh, and uh, church history says uh, John, John the Apostle came to Ephesus after Paul uh, to take care of uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, which is kind of weird because it's the mother goddess center, and then Jesus, you know, his, his mother, Mary, goes there, and I don't know what happened after that, but the mother, the mother goddess thing is just weird. Like, I <laughs> ran into... I, I always run into the mother goddess people because there's a Korean, it's a Korean cult that draws um, a lot of Spanish people. And I keep running into them, and it's a Korean cult, but it's a mother, it's a mother god worship. It's a Christian, kind of has a Christian veneer, but you talk to them for you know a few minutes, and then you understand it's a mother god cultic thing. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, so the revelation of Jesus. If you, uh, so I'm just going to read uh, the letter. It's pretty short. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Do the deeds that you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this, I, yet this uh, you, you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So that uh, first section, and Jesus is kind of uh, declaring his name to that church. It's a revelation concerning himself. And I, I just want to kind of expound on that because I think that's an, uh, it's an important thing for, the, for this particular church to grab a hold of this particular revelation of Jesus. And so he describes himself, the one who holds the seven stars in his hands. And the second description is the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So I think what I kind of, uh, it's kind of just my take on it, but it's that the Lord is trying to highlight, right, the one who holds the seven stars in his hands. And John's seeing the vision that God is trying to frame, or Jesus is trying to frame the sovereignty of God. He holds the seven stars in his hands. The, he possesses all things, right? His his right hand is going to wield 
an iron rod, and he's going to rule and have authority over all nations, right? All, the whole earth. And he possesses the whole earth. <clears throat> and in particular here, the, the messengers of the seven churches. And so I <clears throat> just wanted you to see that, you know, when, when uh, Jesus is giving him a picture, giving them a picture, uh, just picture this. Jesus, with those nail-pierced hands, and he possesses the church. And he's sovereign over the church. And it's his church. It's his body. He purchased the church with his blood. So it's very, it's like, it's not detached from him. It's personal. It's, it's his church. And he's sovereign over the affairs of the church. The one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And to me, this is kind of God's active evaluation of the church. Now, he's, not a, he's not the God who uh, kind of sends out you know, some messengers or keeps a video camera on the church and just checks in every so often. He's like actively walking amongst the churches, evaluating. And so he's sovereign, but he's, I mean, there's, the church in Ephesus has, you know, all the churches have issues. Why isn't he just kind of like micromanaging? It's because he's evaluating the affairs of men, right? Like Psalm 11, his eyes are beholding, his eyelids are testing the sons of men. Kind of we, we went into that uh, the, uh, yesterday, Luke 18. He's looking for faith on the earth, those who put no confidence in the flesh. He's, he's actively evaluating the affairs of the church. So he's sovereign, but he's not micromanaging. He's, it's fearful to think about this. That God really, really, really cares about the church. He doesn't isn't, he isn't joke around with the church. It's, it's his church, right? And he's here. He's walking around, and he cares. He's evaluating but he's not micromanaging. So he might let you go your own way. And you might kind of just, whatever, be in the church and you're bitter and this and that. And God's just kind of like allowing you to play that out. He's just watching. He's evaluating. So a lot of times we kind of just think, man, man, God's just checked out. He doesn't really care. And so I'm just going to go and run amok in the church. And God's sovereign. He's here. He's evaluating the church. And so he's not just a coach that makes suggestions. He's he, I, I just want to paint that picture. He is Lord of the church. <clears throat> so, let's move on to the affirmation of Jesus. So, if you go on, it's, <clears throat> I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and you found that they are false. And so, the, uh, the first affirmation of Jesus here is... Uh, uh, orthopraxis, which is uh, just a Greek uh, word, but it means truth of works or truth of practice or truth of deeds. And so he's highlighting here uh, the perseverance that, uh, you know, church is doing, actually uh, persevering and <clears throat> it's not growing weary and they're putting to test those uh, false apostles, false teachers. And if you are familiar with Acts 18 to 20 when uh, Paul's establishing a foundation in, in, the, in the church of Ephesus. In Acts 20, uh, he's kind of laying out the same thing. I know as soon as I leave, there's going to be false people who are going to come in. And you, you know, he's charging the elders of the Ephesian church, shepherd the flock, right? Kind of keep on a narrow path to salvation. And, and so they're kind of doing this right. Like we're, this whole conference is attested by fire, perseverance under the fire, and they're kind of doing this, right? They're testing f the falseness of apostles and false teachers. Um, if, you're, uh, if you read uh, in Acts 19, 
Paul, he's in the synagogue for three months. Kind of doesn't work out. So he uh, goes to this hall of Tyrannus or school of Tyrannus and starts teaching there for two years. And the next thing you know, it says all of Asia or all of Turkey hears the word, uh, the word of the Lord. So the gospel goes forth from this little school. He's preaching there every day for two years. The gospel goes to the entire nation. Not only that, like, you know, Acts 19 is supposed to be one of the, the greatest kind of revivals in church history. Where in the, in the sense of uh, just salvation, in the sense of the crazy miracles, right? It, crazy signs and wonders are being done. Uh, the handkerchiefs and the shadows are healing people. And you got uh, the, peop- the repentance going on, right? You got the people who are burning their, their, magi- their Harry Potter books and they're they're laying it down and just, you know, like crazy stuff is happening in the church in Ephesus. And so you would, you kind of, you know, by the time this letter is written, it's kind of like, wow, this is a, this is a, this is a sweet church. Like if I was, if I was in the, you know, somewhere in the Middle East, I would want to be part of the church in Ephesus. They look like they got it down, right? So they have the deeds down, right? They're, Jesus, and he's affirming that. So that's good. It's like, I'm not, he's not going to, he's not, uh, you know, kind of condescending on them for, you know, the, the works. He's telling them it's good. You, you got the truth of works down, right? You have, um, and it's, uh, if you read Acts 19, it's, it's real fire as well, right? Paul was, uh, Paul was starting a riot, and all the, the silversmith trade, right? They're getting pissed off that people aren't worshiping idols anymore. They're losing their business, so they drag Paul. They want to kill him. He's starting a riot, right? And if you, re- if you get a picture, because I want to paint this picture of Ephesus, right? There's glory stories going on, and it's awesome, and revival's breaking out or whatever. But if you read in other, if you read in other places, it, it's, uh, it's not just, hey, two years of preaching in the school, uh, school of Tyrannus, and it's just easy, nice, and just Paul's just having an awesome time in Ephesus. You read, like, 1 Corinthians 15, Wrestling wild beast in Ephesus. First Corinthians 16, the wide door for effective service is open to me, and there are many adversaries. When the gospel starts going forth through all of Asia, there are many adversaries. Second Corinthians 1, we referenced this yesterday. Affliction in Asia, we are burdened excessively beyond our strength, even to the point we despaired of life. All right, 2 Timothy 1, once a force often refreshed me and rendered service to me in Ephesus. So Paul's time in Ephesus, those, those two, two and a half years, it's a hard-pressed time. And when he's laying down the charge to the Ephesian elders, he's telling them, look, it's going to get hard. There's going to be wolves that are going to come in. As soon as I leave, the wolves are going to come in. Right? And sure enough, they do. But Jesus is commending them. Good. You have tested the false. You found them to be false. You are doing the deeds. You're persevering under the fire. All right? And so... I, it's kind of why I paint that picture because otherwise you look at the church in Ephesus as a model of like, kind of just like, wow, this is awesome. But you don't know the cost of the gospel going to all of Asia and the cost of the miracles and why they have to happen. And then, you know, just the people laying down, they're, you know, lining up to burn their books. That, does, that just doesn't happen in the vacuum. It's, it's under the real fire of testing and there's real perseverance that has to happen in Ephesus. So move on and... Uh, uh, orthodoxy. He commends them. Truth of thought and belief. Right? So your truth of hands and their deeds is good. Your thoughts, your beliefs are also good because you tested the evil men, the false apostles, the Nicolaitans. 
right? We talked about them uh, briefly yesterday, the Gnostics, the, the, right? Who are trying to move you into a, a realized eschatology of just a, the kingdom is here, spiritualized now, and it's, there's no day of the Lord, and, you know, there's just we're in the resurrection right now. We're in the kingdom now, right? Spiritually, we've, we're all resurrected. <clears throat> you have... Uh, Kind of in that, in that time, you had other schools, right? You had the school of Tyrannus, but you have a school of Hymenaeus, and you have a school of Philetus, and you're going to get the school of Origen. There's other schools going on, right? There's a lot of falseness that's going on, right? Just as we're preaching the gospel on the streets, there are people preaching other gospels all the time, right? Just as we're trying to plant seeds or God's sowing seeds, Satan's going, sowing tares everywhere, right? There's... The message of uh, a false gospel is being preached all throughout the world, right? Now and, and in the first century. And so the, the affirmation is uh, uh, you, you are resisting falseness and you have you found them to be false. You're testing people. You're, like, it's good, right? For the Ephesian elders, they're obeying Paul's charge. You're shepherding the flock. They're discerning who the wolves are. They're not, right? They're, they're kind of the gatekeepers of the church. And they're, that's something that the church today doesn't do, right? You understand this? That we, we don't, we're not very contentious about falseness. We don't call it out, right? If there, a cult comes up, we don't just call it out because we want to be politically correct and all that. It, but we talked about this yesterday. I love, I forgot who was making the point, but... It's the gospel. There's only one path of, that leads to eternal life. Every other path is leading people into a lake of fire. And if you really want to love them, you've got to call that out. right? You've got to tell the brother, listen, you are worshiping a false god or a false messiah. You're being tormented because you have not received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's only witnessing to you that you're going to receive everlasting torment if you continue in this path. Right? It's just, it's just straight up. You t- tell them you're, you're going to die in your sins because that false Messiah cannot bear sins. And his sacrifice has not, right? He hasn't even made a sacrifice, but his sacrifice is not, definitely not acknowledged before God. God did not raise him from, de- from the dead as a testimony that the atonement works before him. And so you tell people the reality of their condition. And, and, and I guess in the American church, that's just so... I guess we really just, I guess we really don't like that. We don't like being contentious. We don't like being politically incorrect and calling things out, you know. And and I'm not saying you just do this in kind of like, you know, matter of fact way. You do it in love. You discern people. You you love them in it. But I wonder if 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 the Lord is walking amongst the lampstands and he's evaluating the church in the West. Is he saying this? You're resisting falseness. You're calling it out. Hey the, hey, the elders of the church in the West, good job. You're really, you're the gatekeepers. You're shepherding the flock under your care. <clears throat> and so, 1 Timothy 1, right? It, Paul's charging uh, Timothy, remain at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange, doc- strange doctrines. Right, in order to pay attention to myths and genealogies and all that. And instead of what? Instead of furthering the ministration of God, which is by faith. And what does Paul say in Acts 20? I spent right, day and night with humility, with tears, with trials. And I didn't shrink back from teaching you what was profitable. Right? Anything that was profitable. And that's his goal. And, and instead of that, right, even the falseness of 
instead of the, the gatekeepers and the elders and the pastors of a region teaching what is profitable, not shrinking back, you just have this endless discussion and what do we call it, idle chatter and just godless chatter. And so the church in Ephesus here in the first century, it's good job, truth to works, truth to thoughts and beliefs. Right? They're, they're obeying uh, Paul's charge in Acts 20. And so uh, let's move on to uh, the admonishment from Jesus. So the orthocardia there, it's uh, truth of heart. And so this is, I kind of have trouble, I kind of have trouble with this because, I mean, it, it, the truth of works and the truth of thoughts and beliefs, even that, right, even that is just so, uh, something that is so far removed from kind of the church that we see today that you, you kind of, I kind of struggle with how, how kind of severe is this rebuke? And what I kind of land on is that this, this rebuke actually, the you have left your first love, is actually really severe. In light of, you guys are doing everything awesome. Hey, you guys get an A and this and that, but this is actually really severe. And so, so let's read in uh, verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you uh, to remove your lampstand. So my take on it is, uh, I'll just share a, kind of like a personal testimony. Uh, I remember when uh, I first got saved, and I knew no one had to tell me, Hans, you're depraved, right? I had that, people were telling me that my whole life, and I, was, I knew I was depraved, right? You didn't, it, it didn't take much to see that. And I got tricked into uh, going to my uh, church youth retreat. And I was in uh, seventh grade. And uh, it was just prayer meetings. The whole retreat was just prayer meetings. And I kind of got duped into going, and I would just fall asleep. We were doing two-hour prayer meetings every session. I'm just falling asleep on my face. Uh, on my knees, but I would just fall face to the point that I remember one time where I was on my knees, and I just fell asleep. I checked out, and people thought I was, like, experiencing the Holy Spirit. So they left me in the middle of the room and made a huge circle around the room and started playing this game and, and just left me in the middle of the room thinking I was doing business with God. My friend knew better, kind of taps me, I just fall over, this marks on my head and floor, and I'm just, I look around, I'm like, totally embarrassed, right? So this is this, this retreat I'm at, and I'm two hour prayer meetings, and it's just grinding on me, haunt you're depraved, and I'm, and I'm like, yeah, I know I'm depraved, and they're telling me about the gospel, I'm like, what business does God have with me? He doesn't care about me. And I'm singing these songs every single day. We're night we're singing these songs, of straight up gospel songs. You lay down your majesty. You give everything for me. You suffer at the hands. I'm just you're. I'm getting pounded with these gospel songs. It's wearing on me. And and the last night I, I I I'm just like I don't know what part. I don't know what Jesus wants to do with me. But you know if it really is that I can just repent and receive Him. Yes, right. No brainer. I'll do it. And so I thought there were more conditions. Like I you know, I'm just like I just need to repent. And have faith in him, like, good deal, right? Because I know I, don't, I know I don't deserve anything. And I remember the way the, the, no one told me how to bear fruit or how to respond to the gospel. But that uh, day I left that retreat, I, we drove uh, 16 hours to Florida. And I was in the front seat of the car. And I couldn't stop singing the songs. Literally for 16 hours, I'm singing, you lay down your majesty. And I didn't want to 
lose the words, right? We didn't have like a phone to look it up. I didn't want to lose the words and I kept singing the songs and later my dad told me I was freaking out in the car not knowing who, who this young you know, boy sitting in the passenger seat is because he didn't recognize what I was doing. I went to Florida and these two atheist college students that were staying at their house and every night I'm trying to persuade them about the gospel just based on the one sermon that I knew, you know, that I got saved on. <laughs> And we're playing basketball with our friends, and I'm, we're all sweaty sitting down after basketball, and I'm trying to tell them about the gospel based on the one sermon that I heard. And it was just a natural response of, the, the mer- I've received mercy, and, and I just, I'm overflowing with gratitude. I'm just, I'm just thankful. And as you continue on your Christian life, you join you know, leadership, you're the worship leader, and you start kind of relating to God ba- on the basis of your deeds, you know, and like, God, I... And you get into those times where it's stressful and you just start going, God, I, come on. Why are you causing suffering in my life? I, I do all these things for you. You stop relating to God on the, I just singing the songs. I can't stop singing the songs. And you start relating on the basis of your deeds and you start falling in, in that way. And so this is my take on the church in Ephesus. That's the same way that under the perseverance, under the, just the heaviness of, of resisting falseness and trying to keep everything straight, and, which is good. But in the process, they're beginning to relate to God in, a, in kind of a, a false way. And so God's re, uh, Jesus here is rebuking them and saying, repent, do the deeds you did at first. And so people can ask that question. How do you do those deeds? How do you do good deeds if you're false inwardly? And Matthew 7 addresses the same thing, right? It says, at the day of the Lord, it's going to be like this. People are going to come to me saying, Jesus, Lord, Lord. I prophesied in your name. I drove out demons. I did miracles in your name. Right? And what is Jesus going to say? Depart from me, doer of lawlessness. Right? I don't know you. And so people can ask, how does that happen? Or 1 Corinthians 13, I gave my body to the flames. I gave all that I had to the poor. Right? And, and how can God say, I don't know you? And so it's the same idea with the, the, when he's rebuking the Pharisees. And he's saying, if you are false inwardly, right? It's going to make everything you do false outwardly. If the inside of the cup is dirty and you wash the outside of the cup and you drink that thing, that thing is going to defile you, right? But if, you're, but if, if, the, if the inside is clean and good and pure, it sanctifies the outward deeds. And so he's basically saying all the deeds are actually going to be disqualified. All your resisting and persevering will be disqualified because you haven't done them as an overflow of mercy. You've left the place of the cross, You've left the place of just weeping before him on your knees, just remembering the mercy of God. You're relating to God as the, the, the publican in, in Luke 7, or, you know, where it's the, the Pharisee who's kind of going, thank God that I'm not like this sinner. And I do all my deeds. I'm tithing. I'm giving to the poor. and pray twice a day. I fast. Right? And you're not relating to God like the other guy, the, the publican, the the God who's beating his breast and God have mercy on me, a sinner. And so they're not abiding in that place of repentance and, and understanding your depravity and feeling the tender rebuke of God running to him again. And this is the, the times that I've, <clears throat> the closest times I've had with the Lord, the most intimate times of the Lord were never on the basis of my own works. Whenever I'm trying to be intimate with God based on my own strength, confidence, my own flesh and the way I can set my schedule, it always leads me to self-righteousness. 
And when, when the Lord rebukes me in that area, right, in discipline, in loving discipline, my heart is tender, and I just like, I'm like a little kid, I run to his arms, and I feel the intimacy of God. And it's on the basis of the cross. It's not on the basis of my striving. <clears throat> so, remember, repent, resume, right? Remember from where you have fallen. Remember that first taste of, taste of mercy when you got saved, and where your heart was, and how filled with joy you were. Just remember it, repent, right? And not, that's not just a one-time deal. It's continual abiding in, in, in the place of repentance and casting yourself on God and, and relying upon him, depending upon him. Stay on the narrow path with fear and trembling. Do the deeds you did at first, right? And do it out of the overflow of the right heart so that your deeds aren't disqualified at the day of the Lord. And so <clears throat> let's just move on because I, I, I kind of have to hit Smyrna now in the next 10 minutes. Um, so if you m move on to Smyrna, it's uh, the revelation of Jesus there in uh, Roman numeral 7. All right, so in the... The letter to Smyrna is a little kind of a different tone that this church is undergoing suffering. So they're not, it's probably not like this awesome church, but they're undergoing suffering. And so uh, the revelation of Jesus here is to sustain them in the midst of suffering. And he, he declares himself, I'm the first and the last. Or he's highlighting here the, the eternality of Jesus. All right? and, and it's the, in the midst of suffering to see the the eternality, the, the Jesus that's from first to last, the Alpha and the Omega. So we don't, we're kind of like frighteningly, frighteningly myopic in our view of, of history and whatever. And you got to see the, the Jesus of the ages and the God who's eternal. He's, he's sovereign. He's eternal past your, your trials. And he, he's from beginning to the end. And, and be there who is dead and has come to life. So the promise of resurrection in Jesus all right, the, 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 if, you're, if you're a church that's undergoing suffering and, and tribulation, the, the promise of resurrection is something that sustains you, right? Like Hebrews 11, and Philippians 3, the Christ who will transform the body of your humble state into conformity with his body of glory. 1 Corinthians 15, the, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. So God will raise your body in his image, in his glory. And if you suffer with them, you will raise, be raised with him in glory. So he's sustaining the church with this revelation of Jesus. And he affirms them. The tribulations, the Jews, uh, <clears throat> the Jews who are granted uh, uh, immunity from emperor worship. Right? Uh, let's just read it here. So it's verse 9 I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So what's going on here is that the, uh, the Jews were granted an immunity from emperor worship. And they began to report Christians, you know, the, the Jewish Christians. And, and so, <clears throat> basically, they're being persecuted by Jews. That's why he, uh, he, calls, but he calls them. They're not real Jews. They're a synagogue of Satan. And then he says, I know your poverty. 
And so what's going on here is kind of the same deal in all the other churches. But once you become Christian, the economic pressure start mounting because it's a, it's a cultic society. It's, a, it's a based on a cultic guilt and idolatry. And so basically, if you become Christian, you're signing away your right to do business and stay in these guilds, right? It's kind of like you want to do business, you got to do the idolatry thing. And so it's the, <clears throat> so I love here when Jesus says, you're poor, right? I know you're poverty, you're poor, but you are rich. And it's the same kind of thing in 2 Corinthians 6, right? When Paul's commending, talking about the commendation of the apostle, himself as an apostle, and he says, as poor, yet making many rich. In 2 Corinthians 8, and talking about Jesus, who became poor so that through his poverty, you would become rich. Right? And it's the opposite feel of 1 Corinthians 4, where it's talking about the church who becomes rich, the Christians who are not suffering poverty. And he says it's the opposite. You are, you are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. Right? So the, the ones who are casting off the, the poverty right, and not really embracing the gospel, the, if you embrace the gospels, and we talked about the economic pressures that culminate at the end of the age, you are probably going to lose some kind of standing probably going to lose economic well-being and stability and comfort. You're going to lose something. There's a cost to obeying Jesus. There's a cost to following him. And so this church is undergoing that cost. And they're, they're poor, but Jesus kind of reminds them, though you're poor, you're rich. right? You're, you're storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. <clears throat> so the, the admonishment of Jesus here is to the church undergoing tribulation. Jesus withholds admonishment and instead prepares them for future or further tribulation to come. And so in Acts 20, uh, so Paul says to the Ephesian elders, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and affliction await me. So just as Jesus is saying to the church, right, imprisonment awaits you, Paul feels the same thing in Acts 20, saying everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, and what's the awesome message that the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Everywhere I go, bonds and afflictions await you. And Paul says, and this Acts 20, 24 is just, it's intense and it's awesome. I don't consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Right? What does it take to endure suffering and poverty when the Holy Spirit's telling you bonds and afflictions await you? I don't consider my life as that dear to myself. I consider my life a race. I consider my life a, 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 a goal at the end, a prize awaiting me, a crown of life. That's how I consider my life. And I consider my life a, a course of ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly to the grace of God. And this is what it takes for the church, right, undergoing suffering and poverty, it's the idea that the church doesn't consider life in this age as that dear, as that awesome. It's riches now is that awesome. Mansions, houses, not that awesome. Consider dear the, the testimony of the gospel and advancing that thing and running the race with endurance unto the prize, right, even at the point of, even to the cost of death. <clears throat> and so this is a, uh, 
Hebrews 10, you willingly, you willingly accepted the seizure of your property. 1 Peter 1, in this you greatly rejoice, even, that, even though for, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so the Lord kind of lays out these rewards. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. All right, and I, I just want to stress this. Like, picture the crown of life. I, I get it. When we think of a crown, it's not something that we normally wear or see people wearing. All right, but there's a real crown of life. All right, James 1, there's a real crown of righteousness. 1 Timothy 4, 1 Peter 5, there's a real crown of glory. And just as we kind of, you know, go through a lot of effort in the morning to pick out our clothes and what we're going to wear, we care about how our hair looks and all that, it's going to be a reality of, in the age to come, of being clothed in righteousness and being, being clothed in glory and receiving glory, honor, and praise when Jesus is revealed, right? And we don't want to be ashamed on that day. There's going to, we really are going to want this crown of life, right? So it's a real... It's not just a fake kind of like a good, you know, good feeling. Hey, I'll give you a crown, like a metaphorical crown. It's a real crown. He's going to, Lord is going to crown you with this, with this thing. If you're faithful unto death. And he says, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And <clears throat> Revelation 21 and uh, Luke 12, right? But not, don't fear man who can only harm you in this, in this life. Fear the one who could throw you into Gehenna in the second death, right? And so Jesus is saying here, if, if you are faithful and you overcome, I, you don't have to fear me who will throw you into Gehenna. You will not be overcome by the second death. And that's a, re, uh, that's a reality of the resurrection and, and the lake of fire that we all have to be familiar with. <clears throat> so I just want to end uh, here with just uh, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Because Polycarp was the, uh, the bishop of Smyrna and the, the Smyrnaean church. And so, this is uh, directly from, uh, the, I think, the, uh, the uh, anti-Nicene fathers. But, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and after a little while is extinguished. But are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. And this is when they're piling the wood to burn him. And his response is crazy. Right? Why do you delay? Carry on. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, this is the Hebrew said, I'm willingly laying down my life. You're not taking, I'm willingly laying down my life. I'm willingly accepting the seizure of my property. I, I'm doing this, why? Because of mercy. The mercy of God has wounded my heart. I don't count my life dear. I, I don't even count myself worthy to be a martyr. I don't count myself worthy to own anything. I don't count myself worthy to have breath. I don't count myself worthy to worship God. God's laid down his life for me. I'm wounded by mercy, right? Your heart's I'm devastated by the mercy of God. And joy, you just lay down your life, your property, it's everything. And this is a, I mean, this is a reality that's just 
I want this reality in my life, right? I want this. I'm jealous for reality, not just for me, for the church, that when I see the church, we share all things. We share time, we share people, we share money, we share possessions, we share God, we share experiences, we share hardships, we share distress, trial. We, we just share all things because we don't hold on to this life. We don't count the deer, and we're all just a community of servants of God, wounded by mercy, and we care about the cross. We carry it. We love on each other. We love the lost. I'm jealous for this reality of just the church, right? And, and so this is, uh, <clears throat> so when we take the, the, uh, the letters in the, uh, the book of Revelation, I take, it, I take it seriously, and I take it as a prayer. God, like, Make us like, make us like this. Make us live up to this. The, 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 unto the, I want to receive glory, honor, and praise from you. I don't want to receive the, the admonishment and the, the rebuke you've left your first love. I want to receive the crown of life. I want to receive the eter, eternal life. I want to run that race and finish my course in Christ Jesus. All right. So I, I just want to kind of exhort everyone in this room to just, as we're listening to the rest of the teachings. Uh, today, just stay in that uh, place of prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit, you know, pr pray that the, the Lord would, would make this a reality in your life and that this would not just be a reality just individually, but also corporately, right, in, in church, that we would see this and that the end time church would be a, a church that's laying down their lives for the gospel. So let's pray. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I know I'm, s I'm sweating. I'm snotting. I'm just, I feel gross, but uh, <laughs> I apologize for those watching on webcast too. <laughs> Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We love you. We love your appearing. We love your cross. We just ask that you would wound us today. God, we don't, we don't want mere uh, information. God, we want to be wounded by the cross. We want to be devastated. We want our hearts to become undone. Just like when you first wounded us with the gospel and we were saved. The faith that came by the Holy Spirit. Oh, the testimony, the witness of the Holy Spirit of joy and, and just peace that we would, and the, and, the, and the fruit that we would just want to lay down our lives and, and just be a fool for, for God. And I pray God, that you would produce that again. God, just through the, uh, the time of fellowship we have here, the, the word that's being preached, time of worship, the Holy Spirit coming upon us, I pray you would produce this fruit, Father, in the name of Jesus.